You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. A decade from now, when the Trump years are an awful memory, along with NATO the security alliance that kept the peace after World War II, an alliance and a peace that are both being dismantled by a spoiled child, a memory along with our last chance to avoid catastrophic climate change, a memory along with the idea that the occupants of the White House are not there to profit off their tenure. A decade from now, we're going to remember all the wrong names. We're going to remember Jared and Steve and Ivanka and Sean and Melania and Flynn and Manafort and Paul and Mitch, maybe even Tiffany, we're going to remember the worst. We won't even have to try. Their names are going to be in the news and in our faces for years to come. We're going to be hearing their names long after they're all rotting in fucking prison, fingers crossed. The worst we will remember. They will be impossible to forget. We have to make an effort, though, to remember the best. Ricky Best, Talesian Mirden Nam Kaimechi, and Micah David Cole Fletcher. They were the three men who intervened when a white supremacist, a deranged Trump supporter, you know, a Trump supporter. At this point, we don't need to qualify Trump supporter with deranged. A white supremacist, a Trump supporter, got on a train in Portland, Oregon, and began to scream racist and anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant abuse at two women, both of them brown, one of them wearing a headscarf. Two of the men who stood up to that bigotry and that rage, two of the men who stood up to Donald Trump's vision for America, two of the men who refused to be bystanders, died on that train. Their throats slashed. One was badly wounded and almost died. The president, the tweeter-in-chief, a man whose name we're never going to forget, that malignant metastasizing asshole in the Oval Office, he couldn't bring himself to mention their names this weekend. Ricky and Talizan, the men who died, and Micah, the guy who was grievously wounded. He didn't condemn the violence or acknowledge his own complicity in it, his responsibility for it. Trump did have time to tweet this weekend, sending praise to a newly elected member of Congress who allegedly... Well, you know what? There's an audio tape and there are eyewitness accounts. So fuck allegedly a newly elected member of Congress who assaulted a reporter. He Trump had time to complain also about how unfair the media is to him still and again and always. But Trump couldn't say the names of the three men who stood up to bigotry this weekend in Portland, Oregon, two of whom gave their lives to protect two of their fellow human beings from one of his supporters. Our government, our federal government, entirely controlled by the party enabling Trump, isn't going to remember their names either. Jared and Steve and Ivanka and Flynn and Manafort and Paul and Mitch and Donald, their crimes, their violations, the poisons that they are injecting into our body politic, the damage they're doing to our democracy and our planet, that will be their monument. It seems to me we're also going to need a monument to the resistance, to the resistors, not one monument but lots of them, to these guys and other heroes of the resistance. 
I was in London last week. There are monuments everywhere you go in London, statues of kings and queens and generals and admirals and prime ministers. And there's a phrase that you see again and again if you pause to read the plaques, which is something weirdos like me do, erected by public subscription. Nelson's column in Trafalgar Square, erected by public subscription. There are two GoFundMe efforts underway right now to raise money for the families of the two men who died, Ricky Best, a veteran who survived tours in Afghanistan and Iraq and 23 years in the military, only to be killed on Memorial Day weekend in Portland, Oregon. Ricky Best, who has a wife and four teenage children. And Talesian Mirden Namkaimechi, a recent graduate of Reed College in Oregon who just started his first job. There's a GoFundMe effort for Ricky and Talesian's families that's hit its goal. And there's one also to help pay the medical expenses of Micah Fletcher because this is America, where you can do the right thing, the thing that everyone hopes they would be brave enough to do in the same circumstance and then be bankrupted by medical expenses. Again, both these GoFundMe efforts have hit their goals. Once these really immediate and pressing needs are covered, the needs of Ricky's family and Talesian's family, Micah's medical expenses, it seems to me that maybe another fundraising campaign may be in order. To erect a monument by public subscription to the bravery and decency that these three men demonstrated in Portland on Friday. Place that monument in Portland at the spot where Ricky and Talesian died and Mika almost gave up his life. Again, by public subscription. Because we need to remember their names too. We need to remember their names more. Okay, coming up today on the show, tons of your questions, lots of my answers, plus a couple of songs from Rachel Lark from our Portland Easter show and on the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. A sleep expert joins us to discuss the rare disorder of hypersomnia. How does that relate to sex? You'll have to listen and subscribe to find out. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 29-year-old straight girl living in Toronto. For the past year, I've been dating someone who I had been performing with in the comedy world. It started out casual, uh, but got very serious very quickly, and it got very confusing. We recently ended it because he has a terrible depression. Uh, he'd been going in and out of it while I was seeing him, and recently it's been terrible. And he told me that intellectually he wants to be with me, but he doesn't feel anything right now. He doesn't feel anything for me or for anything, he said. This breakup has been incredibly difficult for me. I've had anxiety attacks where I hyperventilated about three or four times now. I hadn't seen him after we broke up for about two weeks, but when I ran into him this weekend, I basically forced a conversation with him. We ended up sleeping together. My question is, how do I stay away from him? Um, I will see him out uh, because of our line of work. And when I do, I feel extreme anxiety coming on and a jealousy where, like, I have to go home with him, even though he's told me he cannot be with me. Just, I don't feel like myself. And I've never been this way in any other relationship or breakup. And I really just want to save my sanity and stop embarrassing myself in front of someone who is rejecting me and I don't think is capable of loving me. I'm just not sure what I can do. You recognize that this guy is incapable of loving you and has mental health issues that he probably needs to handle on his own. He needs to get himself in good working order before he could be in a relationship and be capable of loving someone, certainly capable of loving you. So it has to end. It has to be over. Um, it, it can't go on. Um, and that's sad and it's 
upsetting and you're clearly upset if when you think about him, you have panic attacks, and hyperventilate. That's awful. But what you got to do and what you have to do for yourself is try, even if you have to wrench it, try to put it in perspective, wrench it into perspective. You were with a guy for a year and it didn't work out. You invested him and this relationship as we do when we are getting to know someone or maybe hope to be falling in love with them. You invested in him this idea of of a future with him. You imagined a future with him that is not going to come to pass because of his damage. And that's sad, but – and here's the point where you put it into perspective. Look around. It's really common what you're going through. A relationship that filled you with hope for a future ended. That happens every day to – hundreds of millions of people. There are lots of people walking around feeling the feelings that you're feeling right now, which doesn't make them any less painful or acute or personal. But look around, put it in perspective. Other people have been right where you're at right now and they have moved through it. They are fine. They have grieved it and the wound has scabbed over and they are onto a new relationship or they are pursuing passions that fill them with joy and even if they're not in a new relationship right now, they are content and they are engaged and they are not engaged to be married but engaged with their passions, engaged with the world and they aren't hyperventilating anymore. They're not in the throes of the immediate emotional turmoil of the breakup and you will get there too. You'll get there faster if you stop fucking this guy when you see him. You'll get there faster if you go out of your way to avoid him. Now that you know that if you guys interact, if you guys have a conversation, you're likely to land in bed together again and that's going to tear all the scabs open again. Don't talk to him. Don't hang out with him. Be polite. Be civil, especially if you move through the same comedy circles and you are on each other's perfect. Be, be nice. Be polite. Be civil. Uh, but be a little short and and cut him a wide berth and spare yourself the strain of having to pretend to be friends right now because it's too painful for you and you now know that pretending to be friends, pretending to be friendly, there's a high chance that you guys are going to wind up fucking again and ripping all those scabs open again. And that would be fine if there was some possibility that he would suddenly get whole and you know the breakup was a mistake and he was going to circle back and you guys were going to pick up where you left off. But you know that's not possible in this instance. So there's no upside to fucking this guy again. There's no upside to – Attempting to be friends right now. Maybe some point down the road you can have a friendship and have a professional relationship. But now, no. Now, now you know. Now, no. It can't happen for you now. Not with him. So lean into the panic attacks. Have some ice cream. Go to the gym. Hang out with your friends. Get out of the house. Go places where you know he's not going to be. And try. And, and to remind yourself when you are hyperventilating or feeling panicked or feeling really crushed or picked on by the universe that there are hundreds of millions of people all around the world in the same boat that you are right now and that boat ain't sinking and pretty soon that boat pulls into dock and you can get the fuck off it. Hey Dan, I am a married straight male living in the Pacific Northwest and I have a question about cuckolding. Uh, the idea of uh, having my wife uh, be cuckold, uh, if, that's how you, if that's how you say it, uh, something that's always been a, a huge interest to me, but I can you know, never bring it up to her. Uh, knowing her and knowing how she is, uh, there's no way she would ever go for it. Uh, and that's not something that I necessarily want to bring up because, again, she she would never be okay with that. So my question to you is, do you have any tips or tricks or things that I could try that could 
get close to that, that would somehow allow me to live that fantasy while still respecting uh, her wishes. I don't direct people to Reddit boards very often, but I'm going to direct you to reddit.com slash r slash cuckold. It is the forum for cuckolds and hot wives. It's a community, uh, a subreddit. I don't even know what they call it. I'm not up with the Reddit jargon and lingo. But a lot of what you'll find there, you know, find some people posting porn and posting stories. But a lot of what you find there are guys with questions a lot like yours. This is something that turns me on. I'm interested in this. I don't know how to roll this out to the wife or when I tried to roll it out to the wife. She didn't seem particularly amenable to it. And those guys are getting a lot of advice at that Reddit uh, board from guys whose wives are now cuckolding them about what they did uh, and the things that they said and how they talked their wives into it. And now their wives enjoy it. And, and sometimes the wives themselves are in this subreddit talking about what worked and and what their husbands did and said that made them feel comfortable enough to explore this rather extreme kink. Short of that, if you want something from me that you can do with your wife, one way to communicate to her that you are not the jealous type, that you enjoy the idea of her with other guys is initiating dirty talk during sex where you share and she is encouraged to share, you both share together, previous sexual experiences. Now, some people aren't secure enough uh, with themselves and they are sexually insecure enough in their relationship uh, to do that sort of thing. They get panicky. That, you know, any mention of a past sexual partner in a positive light, you know, a past sexual experience with somebody else is somehow a critique of your current sexual partner. That this previous experience was so great and in comparison, this experience we're having right now, not so good. But this seems in my like brief reading of reddit.com slash r slash cuckold, this seems the, the first step. The sharing of stories, the sharing of past experiences as a form of dirty talk and the demonstrating to the spouse, male or female, that this turns you on. These images, these mental images, these thoughts of them with other people in the past and eventually you broach the subject of them with other people in the present or future. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I am a 32-year-old by woman, a married woman from the Midwest. Wanted to give you a call. My husband and I are having, well, finding ourselves in sort of a unique crossroads in our marriage. Um, we've been married for almost two years together for six. Um, we just recently got back from living abroad for one year and had a great adventure. And now we're back in our hometown, sort of ready for the next chapter. Our agreement upon moving overseas was that he wanted to start a family. While as I said, I need to have an experience, something amazing before that happens. I don't want to have a family and then regret not seeing the world and not, you know, having my moment in the sun, so to speak. Um, so he agreed that we would do that. And it was a huge move for him. But I think he more or less agreed to that on the terms that when we got back, we would start a family and have children. I have always expressed to him that having children is not necessarily a priority to me. It's not something I've ever felt drawn to. I don't have those feelings that I've, I need to be a mother, you know. Um, he has always said that he thinks it would be a really great experience. My opinion, I think acid is a cool experience. This is a lifetime commitment. Um, so as the date grew closer for us to return back home, I started to feel a lot of pressure that, holy shit, when we get back home, he's going to want to get me knocked up. 
And we had a lot of conversations about this while over there, sharing my fears, concerns um, about really, really doing this and how it would change our marriage. I also told him that I can think of hundreds of ways to enrich our lives that didn't involve having children. And it got to a point where I did come out and say, you know, I really don't think that this is something that I can give you. Now, I told him it's not 100% off the table, but in so many words, don't get your hopes up. My real question for you is that I can't seem to get, you know, over the guilt of taking this experience away from him when he supported me and my adventurous side to move to Europe and do something that he was so uncomfortable with. I guess my justification has been that mine lasted a year and his thing, so to speak, lasts a lifetime. So how can I sort of have that final conversation and how can I move forward without feeling like he's going to resent me for the rest of our marriage? First, as anyone who's ever spent any time on a college campus in a college town can tell you, acid for some is a lifetime commitment. We've all seen them stumbling around Madison, Wisconsin. Second, to the time machine. Hurry, rush. Let's get to the time machine because you need to go back in time, not back before your trip to Europe or your year abroad that you now feel guilty about because you had commodified that to some small degree and it was a year in Europe for you and then a lifetime of parenting for both of you, but back before you married this man, because this is something that you want to be on the same page about before you get married. It's not something that you dicker about after you get married and bargain about after you get married. seems to me that you have known all along that you do not want kids and you fell in love with someone who did want kids and you kept kicking that kid can down the road in hopes that I don't know, a meteor strike, something, some outside force, some Duxus Machina would come along and solve this problem for you. And that is not going to happen. So you need to take this off the table now. You need to take it off the table already. It's not an acronym, but it might be soon. Uh, You have nothing to feel guilty about except for marrying this man in the first place. You both should feel guilty about that, marrying each other when you weren't on the same page on this very important issue. But the longer you draw this out, the longer you pretend there's some small chance that you might want kids someday, that there's something he might be able to do or say that might convince you, that's what you should feel guilty about, drawing this out any longer than you already have. You go to him immediately and you say, I do not want kids. If we need to part over this so that you can marry someone who would like to have kids, we should – declare the years we've been together a success. We can have a successful marriage that's behind us both. We can get out of this one alive and you can go find a partner, find a woman who wants to have kids with you. I am not that woman and I don't think I ever was. And I apologize. Perhaps you should apologize for not knowing your own mind well enough to be that emphatic and that clear about it in the first place before you married. But you've always suspected this and now you know it for sure. And it is on you now, now that you know it for sure, to disclose this highly pertinent information to your husband about the rest of your life and the rest of his life. So that if he wants to make a different choice about who he's spending the rest of his life with, he can. But the longer you let him live in false hope that you're going to come around on this, the worse you should feel. That's where you should feel guilty. That's what you should feel guilty about allowing him to live in false hope one second longer than he needs to. And he doesn't need to anymore because you know 
you know that this is not something you want to do. And it's not something you're ever going to do. So give him the option of paying the price of admission to stay with you, which means no kids, or leaving you and finding someone that he can spend the rest of his life with who does want kids. And you get out there and find someone you can spend the rest of your life with, maybe in Europe, who doesn't want kids. Hey, Dan. So here's my dilemma. I'm a waitress. I've been working at a restaurant for about 10 months. My manager is 21, and she's sleeping with our 50-year-old chef. And it's not the age difference that makes me and all the other employees so uncomfortable. It's the fact that our chef has a wife and a two-year-old daughter in Florida. We're not in Florida, obviously. She comes to visit, and the owner of the restaurant, like, takes our manager off the schedule so that the wife doesn't get suspicious and she can come in and eat. And uh, they live together. Our manager and the chef, they live together. And when the wife comes to visit, the, the manager, like, leaves the house and stays with friends so that his wife and his child can stay in there in that house. Um, I, I, we've all been putting up with this for months. They, they call each other baby, honey at work, they kiss, they make out in the basement. And not only is it just gallingly unprofessional, it just is so cruel. This woman has no idea. And she's just getting totally screwed over. This guy's a slime ball. I mean, he's on all of us. People have, like, quit. They're so uncomfortable with this situation. I don't know if I should tell her. Me and all the waitresses are, are like, just so fed up because this morning he was Skyping her, FaceTiming her in the restaurant, and our manager was, like, hiding outside of the frame and laughing and making comments that his wife is a dumb bitch and that he doesn't love his daughter. It's too much. This poor woman. I mean, it's been blatantly said that he's cheating on her. So it's not an open relationship. Yeah, we kind of all want to send her an anonymous email, but I don't know if we should stay out of it or if we should try to help her. Because we feel so bad for her. Like, we wait on her. And we know that her husband's making out with a 20-year-old girl in the basement every day. You say this woman, the wife, has no idea that this is going on. And I'm sitting here wondering, thinking maybe she does have some idea that her husband is the scumbag that you say that he is. And it certainly sounds like he is. Because why does she live far away in another state? Perhaps she has some idea that her husband is a scumbag. And she prefers to keep him at a multi-state distance. That maybe this arrangement where she lives in one state and he runs a restaurant and lives in another and has a house in another and he does whatever the fuck he wants and she maybe does whatever the fuck she wants while she raises their kid is her preferred scenario. Maybe she is Melania to his Donald and knows what a scumbag he is but has made a deal with the devil that pays the bills and is relatively content with it. It's awful that you're the owner of this restaurant, I assume the chef is also the owner, and this manager are such vicious fucking shitbags. They deserve each other. You guys don't deserve to 
have to witness their assholery. You guys don't deserve to feel complicit in this adultery or the duping of this innocent woman, this third party who you assume to be innocent. You don't know her as well as you know them. You're not around her all the time. And you also don't know what their deal is. And it's important to remember, you say, we've all been putting up with this for months. It's not actually happening to you. This isn't, you're not the wife. And this isn't being done to you. What's being done to you is you're having to watch these two be assholes. I worked in a lot of restaurants, put myself through school working in restaurants, everything from Malton Burger Diners to four-star French restaurants in Chicago. And there were assholes everywhere. And there were people having affairs. And every restaurant I ever worked at was kind of a fuck pile. And managers were fucking waiters. And waiters were stealing food. And busboys were fucking hostesses. It was just bananas. And I assume the wife knows. So if she knows, an email from you guys isn't going to tell her anything that she doesn't already know. She may feel additionally humiliated. Maybe part of their deal is do whatever you want. Be discreet. Don't make me look like an idiot or a fool. But I can't imagine that the email from you is going to come as a shock to the wife who lives far, far away. Far enough away that some other woman can live with the chef owner full time without the wife knowing or, my hunch, caring. But if it'll make you guys feel better to send that anonymous email and the only people who could potentially be harmed by that anonymous email are your manager who sounds like a vicious monster and the chef who sounds like an inconsiderate lecherous asshole, which describes a lot of the chefs that I encountered, particularly in a front restaurant when I was waiting tables. Go ahead. Usually my advice is to stay the fuck out of it. Not your monkeys, not your circus, not your marriage, not adultery that involves you or implicates you. But if you all feel implicated as witnesses, maybe you should tell. But it sounds to me like you hate your manager and you hate your chef because they are assholes. And, you know, one of the ways they demonstrate their assholery is by making you all feel uncomfortable all the time and complicit in the harming of this woman, the presumed harm of this other woman, of his wife. And you want to slap back. You want to... Punch him in his fucking face and her in her fucking face. Maybe you have my blessing in this instance to do just that. But again, my hunch, wife knows there's a reason she lives several states away and the email isn't going to come as a big shock to her and very likely nothing will change. Hi, Dan. I'm calling as a queer woman in the Northeast. Um, I was wondering, I've been with my boyfriend for almost a year, actually a year now, and we still haven't told each other that we love each other. And I definitely have those feelings for him. And I can't say that I've ever been in love or told the person that I love them, but I definitely do love him, but we just haven't said it. And I'm afraid if I say it to him, he's not going to say it back. What should I do? Someone has to say it first. Might as well be you. Hi, Dan. 20-year-old trans guy here. I have an etiquette question. My boyfriend and I both live with our respective parents. He works full-time, I work part-time, and we both attend college. His parents work from home, my sister is homeschooled, and my mom works part-time. We just started having sex, but it's really hard to find the time, especially with planning, transportation, toys, and the sheer amount of time that everything takes. Plus, sometimes my family randomly leaves and won't give me a time frame for when they'll be back, even when I ask, like, repeatedly. So, here's my question. 
would there be some polite way to ask my mom if she could maybe hang out at her fiance's place for a night and take my sister with? She probably already suspects that we're having sex, but I think that directly asking her to clear off so that I can get it on would leave her out. What's the protocol here? You're an adult. Your mom's an adult. You live at home. Presumably, hopefully, you kick in or contribute in some adult way. Maybe you're helping to pay rent. Maybe you're doing chores or some of the housework to earn your keep now that you're a college age and getting a college education adult. And I think you have a right to go to your mother, adult to adult, and say, you know, I have a boyfriend. You know that we are – I am sexually active. You know that now. And pick your poison. Sometimes we're going to have sex in my room in the house that I help pay the rent for or help maintain. And you can be here or – you know, you can clear out and take my little sister with you and give me a night in the house alone, as I will for you if, you know, you and your fiancé want to hang out here and have a night free and clear. I will take my little sister out. I will take her to the movies. I will give you four or five hours. You can make this an exchange of run-of-the-house time where your mother is free to enjoy the house without any of her kids around, and you should be free in exchange to enjoy the house every once in a while without a parent or a sibling around. That's one option. The other option is there'll be times when my door is closed and you might hear some things that a mother might not want to hear. Uh, and that's what happens when you have roommates. And sometimes it makes you uncomfortable when it's roommates you hear fucking. And when it's your own kid you hear fucking, it's going to make you doubly uncomfortable. But I'm not not going to have sex in the place that I live with my partner. So let's figure this out. Hi, Dan. My name is Lindsay. I'm with my roommate. She is a lesbian in Seattle, and she has been hanging out with a girl who identifies as bisexual. However, this girl has not had sex with a woman just yet. Now, their relationship is getting to the point where the lines are getting a little bit blurred, and she's wondering if she should make a move. And if she makes a move, how should she do it? What should she say? How do you kind of I guess how do you tread? How do you tread in the path of somebody who hasn't, who, who's kind of in between, figuring out if they want to or if they not? This is pretty simple. Your friend needs to make a move, using her words, not pounce on this woman who identifies as bi but has never had sex with a woman. Your friend needs to ask if she would like to make out and ask at that right moment. Like set the mood. You don't send a telegram and you don't. Go ask her dad. You, you know, go out and hang out and be intimate and cozy. And then she looks her in the eyes, your friend, and she says to this woman, I'd really like to kiss you. Can we make out? Would you like to roll around? And we can start really slow. We don't have to jump right to Conalinga 69ing. Let's just make out and then see what she says. She might say yes. She might say no, and that no isn't necessarily going to mean that this woman isn't bisexual. Maybe your friend is someone that she likes and has enjoyed spending time with but isn't someone that she's sexually attracted to or now realizes isn't someone that she's sexually attracted to. Maybe she's open to the possibility at first. So this woman rejecting your friend doesn't mean this woman isn't bisexual and won't ever be intimate with another woman. Maybe your friend just isn't the person that she would like to be intimate with first or at all ever. Nothing's going to happen unless somebody makes a move. And in this instance, in this circumstance, the person 
who needs to make that move is your friend. And again, it's not a move. It's an audible move. It's words. It's asking the question. It's leaning in close and not kissing and saying, can I kiss you? And waiting for that. Yes. And it's fucking sexy. Some people have it in their heads that using your words, asking the question makes it kind of formal and unsexy and unspontaneous. But anyone who's ever had someone that they really want to kiss, get close to them and say, can I kiss you? Knows that those are the, that's the fucking sexiest thing that can possibly happen in that moment. It, it draws the moment out because then you get the question that you get to say, yes, you get to answer that. And that's almost like a kiss all by itself. And then you get the kiss itself. So ask, 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 tell your friend to ask. Hey, everybody, we're going to take a quick break from your calls because we wanted to share a couple of the amazing songs performed by our pal Rachel Lark at the show we did in Portland at Revolution Hall on Easter weekend. Rachel is a force of nature, and she performs here with her band, The Damaged Goods. It's hard being a lady in this crazy world. The traps are set when you're a little girl. The rules seem to be that whatever we do is wrong somehow and the ways that it's hard can vary based on your race age ethnicity gender identity or socioeconomic status i tell you it's a bitch trying to unite all of us ladies to work together towards the common good Instead, we just fight and tear each other apart the way that vultures would I do it too. Like when this man asked me to write a song about a movement called Free the Nipple. I thought, really, dude? Come on. There's way more important shit facing women today Like the bombing of abortion clinics Or the gap in pay Or the prevalence of sexual assault The lack of free childcare The scrutiny we face for how we do our hair The fact that I get called a bitch for being direct But you, sir, are inspired by a movement that gets Women to take their shirts off in the street. Snap a picture, add a hashtag, and tweet. Well, forgive me if I'm not blown away by this one. I got a million problems and showing my tits ain't one. For all the things that women want to do One thing that I hate most Is women telling other women They're doing feminism wrong Life's hard enough, everyone So it's important that we all get 
each other's struggles as different as they may be so now that i'm on board here's why the nipple should be free They try to booby traps, put booby straps on us, make us hate the weight that helps us procreate, use our bodies to sell their products, then call us obscene. Well, it's nipples, not breasts that turn on a lady. The prevalence of boobs without nipples is shady. The message we get is our breasts aren't for us. They're not for our pleasure. They're objects of lust. Well, it's time we get picky. It's time we agree. My boobs aren't for you. My boobs are for me. You see, the nipple is a symbol of our And that's why we must free the nipple on the streets. We must free the nipple on the beach. We must free the nipple. Free ourselves. We must free the nipple from the male gaze. We must free the Guys, I just, I wrote that song, like, last year, and I just, the political reality has just made me realize lately that it's just, like, that song's just, like, way too nuanced for the world we're currently living in. Like, we need to, uh, we need to just, like, really bring it back to basics, you know what I mean? Like, um, like, feminism at, like, a first grade reading level, you know? (laughs) Um... So, okay, this is my, like, like Trump-era feminist anthem, okay? Women are people, women are people, they have thoughts and feelings. Women are people, women, they're people, they have thoughts and feelings. Your mom, she a person and your teacher she's a person and little girls are people too and nurses they're people even strippers they're people no matter what it is they do women are people women are people they have thoughts and feelings it's true women are people women they're people they have thoughts to touch them if you haven't asked first and it's not nice to brag about grabbing their genitals it's not nice to make it so they don't have health care because they're the ones that make the babies here we go everyone women are people women are people they have thoughts and feelings very good women are people Good, you guys. Give yourselves a hand.
Again, that was Rachel Lark and the Damaged Goods. They are on tour right now. Catch them in Portland at Dante's on June 4th, in Vancouver at the Biltmore Cabaret on June 5th, and in Seattle at Columbia City Theater on June 6th. You can find more cities, more dates, and ticket info on Rachel's website at www.rachellark.com slash tour. Hi, Dams. I'm a 27-year-old straight male who recently just got back into the dating game after breaking up with my girlfriend of three years. And prior to this, I was, I guess you could say, a serial dater, which meant that I didn't often date more than one woman at once. Instead, I just kind of dated one woman at a time casually until it either became serious and we had a relationship or we just kind of broke it off. Now I'm using Tinder and I'm dating more than one woman at a time. I roughly go on about two or so dates every week or so uh, with different women. Uh, I'm noticing a bit of an issue with myself as far as performing sexually is concerned. I found that I get very intimidated by women whom I perceive to be being very attractive to the point where they are almost out of my league, so to speak. Uh, and then with women who I am not as attracted to on a physical level, uh, but still attracted to, of course, I find I'm much more comfortable with in the bedroom and I'm able to perform better. But with women that I have this crush on, specifically this one woman, uh, I have trouble getting it up. We'll call her Lauren. And I'm very much into Lauren, and she seems to be very much into me. We connect on many levels, more so than with any other woman I've been with since my breakup. And I just really like being around her, and I think she's probably one of the most gorgeous people I've ever met. But the first and most recent time in which we became intimate, I could not get it up. I was definitely aroused, but for some reason, my just said no. It was a very disappointing moment for me. I was still able to make her come without any penetrative sex, and she had a great time and wanted to see me again. But I am worried that my own nervousness around her is going to prevent me from being able to perform next time, and it's going to constantly be a cycle of me going down on her and catering to her kinks without penetration until she gets bored of me. This hasn't happened in a very long time, not since I was much younger, when I was having trouble getting it up around a woman whom I had crushed on for months before asking out. I think it's a nervousness thing. Is there a way to get over this? Or is this sort of my body telling me something about my sexual incompatibility? The higher the stakes, the softer your cock. That's the problem here. You like this woman. You're very attracted to this woman, not just sexually. Maybe she's one of those women who intimidates your dick a little bit because you perceive her to be out of your league. Uh, but emotionally, you guys really click. So it matters. Suddenly the sex matters in a way that sex with somebody that you could take or leave or literally take. You, you took them and you left them. Uh, it matters more than that. And, and, and it, it induces a kind of nervous tension that is deflating your cock. The workaround for this is not to – partner with people you couldn't give a shit about. That's not a successful mating dating strategy. The corrective for this is to be honest with her and pay her this kind of weird, flaccid compliment. When I'm with somebody who is really hot and I really like, initially, at first, my dick is kind of scared off because, of, because the stakes are so high. But I'll catch a groove. In the meantime, our first few encounters – Fingers, toys, tongues, kinks, we can be intimate in these great and crazy ways that will demonstrate that, you know, with me, you're going to have an awesome and varied sex life. It's not all going to be just 
defaulting to PIV, toys and tongues and play and kinks and all these other things. And eventually my dick will kick into gear as I become more confident in this relationship and more secure with you. But at least at first, yeah. And having that conversation is going to take the pressure off your dick because then you're going to go into sex with her without her having an expectation that you are going to bring the granite. You're going to go into sex with her without her thinking the sex is going to necessarily be about your dick. And once the focus and pressure is off your dick, that often helps people who are having this exact problem get hard. When you don't need the erection because you're going to have sex where your erection is irrelevant or sidelined or not emphasized, you may relax and suddenly get the fuck hard. You also might want to throw some Biogra and cock rings into the mix too. Hi, Dan. I am a late 20s queer fluid female from the Bay Area. And I have been um, happily single for the last year and a half and standing by it and not wanting a relationship. And then I met this guy who ended up being kind of awesome and love at first sight kind of a thing. We clicked immediately and have been inseparable since. And we are officially dating super quickly, which is not something I usually do. But so far, he has been absolutely incredible. And then we've had this conversation twice now that I don't know how to handle any further. And I'm afraid it's going to be a deal breaker for me. Being, in, uh, being a part of the queer community for the last eight years and repping it proudly, I stand by my thoughts and feelings and the way we should be treated as a community. And he has said something <laughs> kind of lit my fire and I don't know how to respond to. He refuses to step aside from his thought that lesbian sex is not sex because there's not a penis involved. My statement to that is who gives a shit? It's passion. It's intimate. It's sex. It's fucking. There's no difference. He claims his problem is with the term fucking or sex needing to be with a penis and that the lesbian community just needs to create their own new term. I think this is absolutely insane and shakes me to my core that this guy who's so incredibly awesome thinks this and can't really get his mind away from it. I don't know how to um, go about it. I want to inform him and educate him and you know, open up myself to him and who I am with this community in a way that's not going to damage our relationship. I'm afraid of bringing him around my friends because most of them are gay and I don't know what he's going to say or do. So help, please. Thanks, Sam. So you're dating a crazy person. Uh, perhaps he's nagging you as a queer woman who's had a lot of woman on woman sex and just being a playful and kind of being an asshole. And he's, goading you or maybe he really thinks this if he really thinks this i don't know why you as a queer woman an out and proud queer woman who's repped the queer community would give him the time of day much less access to your pussy but you need to disabuse him of this finger fucking is fucking face fucking is fucking eating pussies conolingus is fucking sex oral sex is sex sex is its last fucking name and women can have oral sex with each other and it's fucking sex i don't know what kind of game he's playing here but he's clearly wanting to place queer sex uh, and straight sex in some sort of hierarchy that privileges straight sex over queer sex that straight sex is real sex but that's fucking homophobic in the most sort of glaringly obvious way so what are you as a queer woman doing jumping on this asshole's dick if he thinks that the sex that you have had as a queer woman isn't sex until dick is involved you're basically dating the straight guy who watches lesbian porn 
and thinks that what those two women need is him and his magic cock, and that will turn them straight and turn the sex that isn't actually happening into sex because, you know, there's the magic penis. Yeah, no, dump the motherfucker already. Unless he instantly confesses that he was just joking around and then you slap him upside the head and tell him that joking around with homophobic cliches and stereotypes uh, about queer sex that dehumanizes queer people in this way ain't fucking funny. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old straight cisgendered woman calling from Pennsylvania. Something happened that I'd like to get your take on as I'm not really sure how to understand it. So I received messages on Tinder. Mind you, it's a Sunday morning from a guy who told me he lost a bet last night at a bachelor party and needed to strip for a random random Tinder match. I went with it. And next thing you know, his dick, huge, huge fucking dick, is on the center of my phone screen. He did a little dance and then we hung up. We messaged a few times since, but I'm feeling a little uneasy. He wouldn't show me his face. No one from this quote-unquote bachelor party seemed to be around. He unmatched with me on Tinder. And now I'm wondering, was this all an act of voyeurism? I'm really curious to get your opinion and just kind of fully understand the situation. It was an act of exhibitionism. You were the voyeur. His was an act of exhibitionism. He's kinky. And rather than just own that, because a lot of people are sex negative and kink negative, he framed his kink in such a way where it was this sad and tragic thing he was being forced to do, not this sexy fucking thing he wanted to do. That he was helpless in the face of having lost this bet and he had to do this. And would you please help him out? What I would do if I were you is write him and say, yeah, no, that's not what was going on. There was no one else there, right? You like showing off your big hot dick. And if, caller, you liked seeing his big hot dick, tell him that. And if you enjoy getting dick pics, because there are some women out there who do. I know everyone says that, oh, don't send dick pics. And nobody should send unsolicited dick pics. But there are certainly people out there who enjoy getting dick pics in their inbox, in their on texts. And not all the people who enjoy that thing are gay men. Some women do too. If you are one of those women who enjoy it, you have kind of met the right guy. By accident, he told you a lie he may not have needed to tell you to earn your sympathy, to play on your sympathy, help me out. But you should tell him that he doesn't have to game you. He doesn't have to lie to you. If indeed you enjoyed the show and would like to see that show again, tell him so. Hi, Dan. New time listener here, and I'm learning a lot. I'm currently not partnered, but I've been seeing um, this one guy consistently. I've also been dating. Um, but this one guy that I've been seeing consistently, we've been seeing each other close to four months and he's in an open relationship. The sex is incredible and we are growing as friends. And I'm sort of like kind of new to this lifestyle. We had a very honest talk recently in which he said that he will never allow himself to fall in love with another person because he believes that kind of love is reserved for his partner. I'm not going to lie. That kind of bums me out. Not to say that I expect a different relationship from the one we have now, but I have very strong feelings for him and I'm especially taken aback by our emotional intimacy. And while the relationship is considered open, he made it clear that they both prefer to keep their lovers and other partners completely separate from their relationship. I totally respect that, but I am left wondering why they feel the need to, in his words, avoid drama and protect their relationship when everything and everyone is open about where they stand. I'm afraid I am falling for him more than he is me, but I don't mind sharing him. I want to continue this because I think we could be the best of friends and who knows our relationship 
can definitely grow and exceed both our expectations. But on the other hand, am I expecting too much? Should I get out now? What do you think? He's clearly communicated to you his limits, that he may be sexually involved with others, but he has this superpower where he can close off any feelings. He's not going to catch feelings for you. He's not going to allow himself to love you. He might let himself like you, but no love. And that's the deal he has with his primary partner, that they can fuck other people, but they can't fall in love with other people. And if that's unacceptable to you, if you are willing to be someone's secondary partner or enter into a polyamorous relationship as the third or fourth or fifth, who knows, but only on the condition that feelings can happen and both parties, you and the other party, have to be open mutually to the possibility of feelings happening, then you guys aren't compatible as polyamorous partners and you should thank him for the awesome sex and part ways. Hi, Dan and Nancy and the Tech Savvy Youth. I have a weird consent question for you. I'm a 20-something cis straight woman, and I suffer from hypersomnia. It means if I'm tired, I can't keep myself awake, and I've even fallen asleep in public. And I'll go through a lot of weird automatic behavior in order to stay asleep. I know you told another caller that you can tell if someone is awake or asleep, but in my case, you really can't. I'll argue with people. Sometimes it's nonsense, but if people don't know me, it can seem convincing. Past boyfriends have slept over and asked me if I was awake to have sex, and apparently I've said yes because my brain wants to stay asleep, and I'm just cognizant enough to know what to say so I don't have to get up. And I'll wake up the next morning, and they'll talk about sex that we've had that I have no memory of. In the past, I've just assumed that if I decide to spend the night with someone, I'm consenting to sleep with them in all uh, manner of the term. But I've been casually dating people and I've hit an impasse. If I tell them that I have the sleep disorder, they very well may abuse this knowledge. But if I don't tell them, then I'm also in trouble because if I fall asleep and they can't wake me up, I might really scare them. Uh, and they also may very well have sex with me anyway. One of my friends suggested that I have some specific thing I have to say that's more complex than yes, I'm awake. But this is problematic because if I have this conversation with someone I can't trust, it could go poorly anyway. What option do you think is best? Or do I just go back to spending the night only if I'm okay with having sex with that person? Joining me by phone to help uh, tackle this question, Dr. Martha Billings, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Washington. Hey, Dr. Billings, thanks for jumping on the phone. No problem. So just to zoom out for a second, can you tell us just generally about hypersomnia? How common is it? And uh, the version of it that this woman describes having, uh, how common is that? Is this, is, is this a usual manifestation of, of the condition? Uh, no. So hypersomnia in, in general is relatively common. Um, it can occur due to a variety of things, and the most common being insufficient sleep. Um, but as a disorder, a sleep disorder, we see it um, due to narcolepsy or due to something called idiopathic hypersomnia. And that uh, occurs probably in about 5% of the population or less. Um, and typically people are just require more sleep uh, and fall asleep more often, but don't necessarily have this uh, amnesia to things and inability to wake up necessarily. And so someone who suffers from hypersomnia just is going to nod off randomly at a business meeting on the bus, flying a plane? Yeah, so they're going to have a higher tendency to fall asleep, in, especially in situations where they're not, you know, actively stimulated. Um, they may 
Often we treat it with strategic napping, so we have them nap frequently throughout the day. Um, they also tend to need more sleep, so closer to 12 to 14 hours in some people. And usually we treat it with stimulants or uh, an alerting medication. And how is it different from narcolepsy? In narcolepsy, people don't necessarily have um, need more sleep. They just have more uh, fragmented sleep at night and during the daytime. They both similarly can have these sleep attacks, but in narcolepsy, people have shorter naps, which are typically refreshing, Mm -hmm. and they can have other symptoms such as cataplexy, where they suddenly lose um, tone in their body and can fall down. Uh, They also have other um, sort of strange phenomenon uh, called hypnagogic hallucinations and sleep paralysis, Um, and narcolepsy is a little bit more rare, um, but they're both treated similarly with, with with stimulants and alerting medications. So what the caller describes is really uncommon, like having conversations, arguments with people when she's asleep that she doesn't remember after, consenting to sex in the middle of the night, uh, in her sleep, um, and then having sex and not recalling it the next morning. What she describes is that that's not typical to to this condition, to hypersomnia. No, it's not. It's it's kind of a not necessarily symptomatic of hypersomnia, but it could be sort of uh, a situation called sleep inertia where people have more common people with hypersomnias, but can be seen in anyone when you're woken up from a deep sleep mm-hmm. um, and you kind of takes a minute for you to come, come to your senses. And if you have this hypersomnia and this sleep inertia, you don't quite wake up all the way. And so you're more prone to doing these automatic behaviors and having amnesia to what's going on. And you may engage in complex behaviors such as walking or trying to cook something, um, sometimes even rarely driving a car or having sex, um, but you're not completely awake. So it's a, a sort of a strange half-sleep. So her strategy in the past, knowing that she has this problem and that if asked when she's asleep but appears to be awake, that she will consent to sex uh, in this state, is to not have sleepovers with anyone that she's not fine having sex with. And you know, going to sleep with them is kind of advanced consent potentially to to sex where the guy, you know, her partner thinks she's awake, thinks he's obtained her active and fully conscious consent, but maybe not. And so in the past, she only has sleepovers with guys where she's fine if something happens while she's asleep. But she's worried about casual partners, worried about disclosing. Have you ever confronted this kind of of issue with a patient? And what would your advice be? Um, I haven't had this particular issue, but in general, I would say, you know, given that it is difficult to know if she's completely awake and she may be appear to be awake. Um, she kind of needs to know that ahead of time when she has a, a sleep, someone sleep over and sort of consider that um, even though they may be, she may trust this person. It's, it's difficult in that situation. So I would probably just only have them spend the night if she were consenting to sex ahead of time, knowing that it was possible. And really knew them well enough to know that once they're aware of this condition, they're not going to take advantage of it. They're not going to ask her to do something when they suspect she might be asleep that fully conscious she wouldn't do is already rejected. Right. Because, you know, it's difficult to know if she could really consent. And um, since she has amnesia for the event, she might not even know what happened. So really, she has it has to be someone that she definitely trusts given her condition. So no casual Um, sleepovers and no disclosing to a casual partner uh, that you have this condition. Yeah, I would recommend against it, given that that if she doesn't know them well enough, it may take advantage of her. um, and She may not be aware of it, which is essentially more upsetting. 
All right, Dr. Martha Billings, Assistant Professor of Medicine at University of Washington. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone. That was very helpful. No problem. Hello, Dan and the tech-savvy youth. Um, I absolutely love your show. I'm calling today because I'm in a tough family situation and can't think of anyone else in my life to turn to for advice on this. I'm 26 years old. I live on the East Coast. I live about an hour and a half from my parents. And my 23-year-old little sister just moved out to the West Coast with her best friend a couple weeks ago. Um, My mom always tends to come to me for advice with everything. Um, And she called me hysterically crying this morning because my sister sent her a video last night to show her what her new job is, which is a sexy webcam girl. Um, Thankfully, my sister wasn't in the video she sent my mom, but I think she just kind of sent it to explain what the work would be. And she did give my mom permission to tell my dad and me and my brother. Um, She's not really ashamed of what she's doing and she shouldn't be. Um, But my parents are mortified. My mom, in her own words, is having trouble stomaching the idea of her child objectifying herself for other men's pleasure. She's worried that friends and family might see these videos online, and she's worried what kind of impact this will have on my sister's future. Um, I think most of all, she's just disturbed by images of my little sister being naked and touching herself and other women on camera and having trouble getting those images out of her head. Um, Personally, I think that this could be a really great move for my sister. She's been working a lot of minimum wage jobs for a long time and financially struggling and trying to start a business. And this could be a great way for her to make the money to start the business that she wants to start. Um, But I know ultimately it's not about what me or what my mom or any of my family members want. It's about what my sister wants. Um, So here's my questions. Um, I consoled my mom for a while this morning and I convinced her not to send an email she'd written that was trying to dissuade my sister from pursuing this job. And I talked to her about how common this is and how, you know, being webcam girl is relatively safe um, while also trying to like acknowledge why she's upset with this. And I'm not really sure what else I could say to my mom, like what I should be saying to my mom. And I was wondering if you could help me out with any advice on that. Um, I'm also kind of pissed off at my little sister for telling my mom in the fashion she did, because I think it was really insensitive. My mom's currently caring uh, pretty much full time for her dying father and has been super stressed beyond belief, um, has been driving several hours back and forth multiple times a week to be with her elderly parents. And um, we all are aware of the situation that my mom is in. And I just think my sister could have um, waited a little time until she actually tried out the job before burdening my mom with this information. Um, I feel like it was really insensitive. uh, And I'm wondering if I'm wrong to feel that way um, or if I should say something to her or if I'm viewing this wrong. I'm not really super close with my sister. Like I love her very much, but she's very introverted and I'm really extroverted and tend to disagree on a lot, um, but I really do love her dearly and I want to know how I can be there for her and what I should be saying to her, if anything, and how I can be supportive for my mom as well. There are things a mother has a right not to know, as my mother liked to say. And there were things I didn't share with my mother, things that I wasn't ashamed of and had no reason to be ashamed of, but that would upset her, would be a burden to her in the same way that your sister rolling out her new gig in LA is kind of a burden to your mother and that she dumped it on your mother at this time when your mother is under so much stress because her father is dying. It just shows either a cluelessness, cloddishness, uh, inconsiderateness on the part of your sister or a viciousness on part of your sister. She might have knowingly sent your mother these videos in a, a bid for your mother's attention at a, at a time when your mother doesn't have the bandwidth to pay attention to her adult children because she is someone else's adult child and that person whose adult child she is is dying and she is tending to that person. Your sister's timing couldn't 
be worse. And the disclosure seems to me to be optional. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing sex work, obviously. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with camming. Um, I do think that when it comes to things like this, we run our parents on a need-to-know basis and the question your sister should have asked herself is, does my mother need to know this? And I don't think your mother needed to know this. Certainly not at this moment. That said, you know, I had a friend who did this kind of work whose parents found out and whose parents were very upset. And her mom made the same objection, raised the same objection that your mother has raised, that she was very upset at the idea that her daughter was being objectified by men. And my friend told her mother that, you know, she's a really beautiful woman and got breasts really early and couldn't take a bus or go anywhere without being harassed and objectified by men everywhere. And she said, if I'm going to be objectified by men anyway, I might as well for once in my life get paid for it. And so she was camming. And it was, as I've said a million times, the safest form and is the safest form of sex work, not in the room with anybody. There are risks. Someone can record a video. It can be distributed online. It can live on to haunt you. But I think we're barreling toward a future where everybody has embarrassing pictures and videos online, which is going to make the ability for any a single person to be grievously harmed by these sorts of things circulating online. It's going to diminish that. It's going to be, you know, if everybody has dirty pics online, then nobody can be fired for having dirty pics online because everybody is complicit. Everybody has dirty pics online. So I think your mother's concerns about how this is going to harm your sister potentially in the future are backward-looking concerns. If we look forward, everyone's carrying around a porn production studio in their pocket in the form of a phone. Everyone's sexting. Everyone's sending their lovers and their partners and their mates sexy pics and videos, knowing full well that, yeah, that couldn't come back to haunt you. Leslie Jones is still on Saturday Night Live, despite the asshole hackers who tried to embarrass and humiliate her and, and destroy her. And she refused to be ashamed, refused to be destroyed, and, and hasn't been. So you can point your mother at the Leslie Jones story if that will give her some comfort. You also might want to point your sister at a couple of online resources, We Cam Girls and Cam Girl Nation. Your mother might also want to take a look at those sites because there's a lot of good info at those sites about doing this kind of work and doing it safely. I would, if I were you, also give my sister a call and tell her to lay the fuck off mom. And remind her that your grandfather is dying. And there are times which as adult children or as even not adult children, you spare your parents. There may be something that you need to tell them or want to tell them, but your parents are too taxed emotionally. There's too much on their plate. And you have to love your parents enough to know when your parents should be spared and could be spared. My dad walked out of my mom when I was 15 or 16 years old. I was really ready to come out to my mother. I waited two more years because I just couldn't walk into that into her room where she was crying about her divorce and say, oh, and, and by the way, also too, <laughs> here's something else for you to cry about, nice Catholic lady. Cry about this instead. And I waited out of consideration for the stress my mother was already under. And your sister coulda and shoulda waited out of consideration for the stress your mother is currently under and maybe should have Never shared this info with your mom. Because, as my mother always liked to say, there are things a mother has a right not to know. And that your camming could be one of them. 
Hey, Dan, I'm an early 40s hetero lady, and I would first like to say that I love your show, and it was a contributing factor to me being able to prioritize sex in my life and leave my low sex drive, vanilla, non-GGG husband, which has led me to find my current boyfriend, the kind of man I've always wanted to be with, who's amazing, emotionally mature, open, giving, sexual, fun, and just a beautiful man. So thank you for that. Uh, My boyfriend is mid-40s and came from a similarly unfulfilling marriage. For the past three and a half years since we met, we've been enjoying exploring kink, monogamishimi, and generally being GGG for each other and fulfilling each other's fantasies. After our 16 and 17 year long marriages, respectively, this has been a dream come true. So on to my question. We both really enjoy oral, both giving and receiving. He goes down on me all the time, and because of that, he's become really good at it. I'm very vocal, so he has learned exactly what I like, what to do, and when. He's amazing, and I'm obviously very lucky. But when it comes to me going down on him, he is totally silent. I feel like I get no clues as to what to do, and I'm pretty much flying blind. Of course, right at the end, he vocalizes a bit, and then it's amazing and sexy, and I love it. But up to that point, I just kind of do whatever and hope for the best. I should be clear, I've had absolutely no complaints from him in the blowjob quality department. To the contrary, he said he's had the best orgasms of his life in my mouth. But what he has recently started to mention is the fact that I don't go down on him as often as he goes down on me. I feel like if he gave me all the vocalizations and feedback that I give him, then I would be into it more and would do it more often. But going up and down on his cock for 10 or 15 minutes while he's totally silent isn't always something I feel motivated to do. And Dan, I do love giving head to the point where I often watch porn of guys receiving blowjobs. That's how much it turns me on. But I will sort through videos until I find guys who are vocal so I can get off on listening to them and imagining what it would be like to be the person making them make those sounds. So Dan, is there anything to be done about this? I can't ask him to make sounds he's not feeling. I don't want him to fake it. If he just wants to lay back and enjoy his blowjob in peace, maybe that's fair enough. Am I being un-GGG for not wanting to suck in silence? You are a female primate, and so am I. But I'm male primate, you're a female primate. And female primates engage in something that is known as copulatory vocalizations. Women during sex are much likelier to moan and groan and make a lot of noise, copulatory vocalizations. Not the same thing as a mating call. You're not screaming out hoping that somebody will come along and fuck you. You're being fucked and you're moaning and groaning and screaming and yelling. Like People talk about people make a lot of noise during sex and it's usually women who are the ones who make all that noise during sex. Um, Of course, we're making generalizations about 4 billion people and 4 billion other people. There will be hundreds of millions of exceptions, but still it generally holds true. So when he's going down on you and you are making all this noise, uh, you're doing it in part because you're a female primate, copulatory vocalization. Uh, in the wild, maybe, you know, 100,000 years ago, uh, our ancestors made these noises to attract other mates. You know, you were getting fucked or, you know, some primate 100,000 years ago is getting fucked and screaming and yelling and other males of the species – Seven trees over or a hill over would hear this and think, oh, there's fucking going on. I'm going to head over there, right? So that he is silent while you're blowing him might not be about an unwillingness to communicate. And your vocalization, your moaning and groaning while he's going down on you might not be because you're more highly evolved and more communicative. It's just about male-female priming. And this particular gender difference, women make more noise. 
You make more noise during intercourse. You make more noise during oral sex. And the dude makes less noise. So you can encourage him to give you some feedback. And I think that if he's smart and he enjoys blowjobs and enjoys your blowjobs, he could learn to be a little bit more communicative. But it might take some effort on his part to offer you some words of encouragement to say that that feels good. You can induce this during the blowjob. I promise you, if you say, hey, you know, when you guys are having coffee or just hanging out, hey, you know, when I give you blowjobs, it would really be helpful. It would actually turn me on for you to make some noise or tell me how I'm doing. He's not going to remember to. What you do is while you're going down on him, blow him a little bit, take his dick out of your mouth, ask him how that feels. Ask him questions during the blowjob that will encourage him to open his mouth and talk with you a little bit. And you can then induce the change you want to see in these blowjobs. More feedback for you. That's what could be done about this. So I don't think you're being un-G-G-G. I just think you're perhaps a little uninformed about this difference between men and women and how they respond to fucking and sucking. Hello. So I am an almost 40-year-old sex worker. I live in a small town, but I work a couple days a week, about three hours away, trying to keep work and home separated because I live in a very conservative small town. So uh, someone from my hometown found an ad of mine and approached me on text. And that person is actually the husband of a friend of mine. And I was pretty shocked when he said that he had been attracted to me already. So I uh, I was pretty startled, and I, I deflected a bit, and I considered seeing him as a client, but then decided it wasn't something I could morally do. So I tried to talk him through some of his marriage issues, which is something I do as part of my practice, because I want my clients to have happy, healthy marriages. But I referred him to a colleague for an actual session. He was really graphic with me, and eventually flaked on my colleague, and then started drunk texting me some pretty abusive stuff. I tried to let it go, and I checked in with him in person to confirm that we were okay because we were kind of friends before this. But he's pretending this never happened. And I don't know where to go from here. Do I just drop it? Do I ignore him? I don't know. I hate the advice that I'm about to give you which is to basically be kind of nice to this box of nitroglycerin as you back away from him, as you put some distance between you two, because you're the vulnerable party here, the really vulnerable party here. This guy is an asshole. This guy is drunk texting you abuse uh, in the middle of the night because he's angry that you rejected him. It isn't difficult to imagine him outing you in this small conservative town where you live and you, and, and you've, chosen to live to keep your professional life and your private life separate. Well, that wall is down now because there's someone who's apparently vindictive and a bit of an asshole and unstable in that small town who knows who you are, knows your real name, knows what you do. And if he should out you, if he should spread this news about you, you're the one who's going to pay the price. You're the one who's likely to suffer, not him. Even if you should out him to his wife, about seeking sex outside the marriage, about contacting sex workers and accepting a referral from you, his reputation will be damaged with her. Your reputation and your ability to live in this town could be compromised with basically everyone 
So you're the more vulnerable party here. I think what you got to do is in as friendly a way as possible. And I hate having to tell you to be nice to this guy who's clearly an asshole, but you don't want to risk provoking him because that could result in you having to leave this town, depending on how conservative it is, how small and small minded it is. Uh, you may have to pack up and go and relocate to get the fuck away from this guy. He could make it impossible for you to continue to live where you live. Potentially you're in a better position to judge whether that would be the likely outcome. If he ran around town telling everybody that, you know, and everybody he knows what you do for a living. So my advice to you, unfortunately recognizing the power differential here, which is unjust and the stigma here, which is bullshit, but exists is that you're going to have to jolly him a little bit, not service him, not take him on as a client, but be friendly to him while you detach from him as much as possible. Clearly no one you want to be friends with, but no one you can risk in your current position provoking by blocking or cutting off or yelling at. I hate having to give you that advice. I wish we didn't live in a world where people who do sex work, good, decent people like you who do sex work are vulnerable and can be retaliated against by people who are sex shaming, sex work phobic assholes. Also sex work, a lot of sex shaming, slut shaming, sex work phobic assholes are themselves clients of sex workers all too often who will then retaliate against them to exonerate themselves for their own responsibility about the choices they've made. Oh, it's a, it's a terrible situation that you're in and my heart goes out to you. Hi, I'm calling in response to um, the caller from episode 552 who had an affair with um, her friend's husband and wants to know how she can contact that person. I've actually been that person who had my husband cheat on me with a friend. And I can tell you, I 100% did not want to hear from either of them after that. I think she needs to take a step back and completely cut off contact with her friend, at least for a few months and give that person some time to calm down because that girl is just going to be so angry and full of hate and she does not want to hear from her. Also, she doesn't sound very sorry. So she might want to actually be sorry before she calls that person. Hey, uh, I'm a cis woman uh, in the greater Boston area calling in response to uh, the weightlifter. I also lift. I'm frequently one of the few, sometimes the only women in the weight room. And I just wanted to say, God bless you and your manly, muscly, shaven chest. I think that's really hot. You should keep doing what makes you feel good. Uh, and if this gets played, I'd just like to tell all the other cis women out there, the idea that lifting makes you bulky is a total myth. What it does is it makes you strong and it makes it a lot easier to do everyday tasks like picking stuff up. So ladies, get into the weight room and guys, if you want to shave, go for it. This is for the caller on episode 552 who was concerned about shaving his chest hair. Sweetie, as a cock cage wearing, high heel rocking, out and proud kinky sissy, I can tell you that it takes a lot more than a bit of manscaping to be a sissy in the modern adult world. My advice to you is to shave what makes you happy. And for your friends, well, I suggest leaving the name calling for the middle school playground. 
And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Tomorrow night, Wednesday, May 31st, Hump is in Montreal for the first time for one show only at 7.30 at Cinema L'Amour. And I'll be in Chicago on June 15th for a live Savage Love. Get your questions answered by me personally. Savage Love Live is at the Music Box Theater at 8 p.m. More info and tickets for both shows are at www.humpfilmfest.com. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Rachel Lark on Twitter at Rachel Lark Music. And again, find out more about her tour, which is on right now at rachellark.com slash tour. The Savage Love Cast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Love Cast next week.